The tank for Trevor is no more for now. The Jets will need to get back to their losing ways against the Browns Sunday and hope the Jaguars win against the Bears. We'll preview both very important games. We also chat with a former Jets GM that put together teams that made back-to-back AFC championship games in the 2009 and 2010 seasons. It's Mike Tannenbaum. All that, plus Brian's book, Stump the Cause, and our Mount Rushmore of Christmas songs next on a Merry Jetsmas edition of Gangs All Here from the New York Post. You play to win the game. Welcome back to Gangs All Here, our New York Jets podcast from the New York Post. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts. If you use Apple Podcasts, go in there right now, this second. Give us a five-star rating and write in a nice review. It's Brian Costello at Brian Cos and Jake Brown at Jake Brown Radio is where you find us on Twitter. Joining us a little bit later in the show is former Jets GM Mike Tannenbaum. A couple of days here to kind of breathe a little bit, uh, get some rest in, try to get over uh, the hangover of a Jets victory cause on Sunday that, you know, Monday kind of broke the sports world. Everyone was stunned, the biggest upset of the year. I've had a couple of days to relax and try not to think about it. Unfortunately, now we're thinking about it again here. Uh, but cause the Christmas season is here. So we need to spread joy this Christmas season. Have you got your shopping in or you got your tree set up? The ornaments are all up. How's that going? Oh yeah. Everything's, everything's done, Jake. The, you know, I have two kids, 11 and seven. So Christmas is a pretty big deal here. Uh, everything's ready to go. I, I, I haven't done much. My wife's done 90% of it. I've done the shopping for her basically. Does she, is she going to stores or is she Amazon priming it? How does that work? Yeah. 95% Amazon prime. I'd say, uh, she's probably done a little shopping for stocking stuffers and stuff like that. But the recycling day at my house is, is there's, there's a lot of boxes in front of my house on recycling day right now. Uh, my mom has sent me stuff and she says, you can't open it until Christmas. Cause it's going to be virtual. Cause I will be here solo with my roommate so uh sh- happy birthday shout out to my mother on the festivus is 65 years old um speaking of gifts and the holiday season the jets are going to be shopping soon for a quarterback and you know the big story this week was zach wilson the byu qb threw for 425 yards in the boca raton bowl cause and you know a lot of people are saying if, if they don't go quarterback with a uh, second pick do they go later in the draft and pick Zach Wilson? Do they trade down? Do they go for one of the other quarterbacks if they're not blown away by Fields? Yeah, I mean, Zach Wilson's the flavor of the week, it feels like. Um, I watched some of that game. UCF's defense is one of the worst defenses I've ever seen, so I take it with a grain of salt. I got to see a little bit more, but there are people who like Zach Wilson a lot. You know, He's a guy whose name you've heard. And the way the quarterbacks work, Jake, is they go up and up and up from December to, to April their stock rises. Like that's how it works. It, you're, you're not going to be trading down for Zach Wilson. If you're taking Zach Wilson, it's going to be a number two. I think, you know, there it might be Justin Fields, number two it might be Zach Wilson, but if he's rising through the pre-draft process, it's not like the Jets can move down a lot and get him. I also, I, the, the idea that the Jets are going to be able to trade down. I don't think they are because this isn't a draft where there's five quarterbacks that, that everyone wants. Like there's gotta be someone people want to move up for. I kind of feel like it's Trevor Lawrence and then everyone else is, is going to be debated and, 
if you don't like Justin Fields, you might like Zach Wilson. I, I don't know if people are going to fall in love with that. And if and if Zach Wilson blows everyone away in the next few months, the Jets are going to take it, not not trade the pick, not trade it away. So to me, the trade scenario is less likely than them taking a quarterback at number two. And maybe that's Wilson. Maybe it's Justin Fields. I mean, everyone's down on Justin Fields off of a couple of games. The guy obviously has a good resume other than that. Um, you know, the, the teams are going to have to do their work and, and see who comes out of it in April. I'm getting headaches, Kaz, already thinking about this quarterback dilemma with the Jets. There's just so many directions you can go, and I, I know he's not great, and I know the free agency crop is not great, but I'm, I might be in the minority here. I'd rather have Mitchell Trubisky for a year than Sam Darnold. I know he hasn't shown much more, and maybe people are going to say I'm crazy for that, Kaz. But, and we know Mitchell Trubisky needs to be terrible on Sunday if the Jets want to end up with Trevor Lawrence, but... I honestly like Mitchell and what he can do, at least on his legs. And I know he's very inconsistent, but I, I like what he's done over Sam Darnold. Am I wrong? Yeah, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> What's the point, Jake? What's the, I, I guess that, like one year of Mitchell Trubisky, so what? So now you're in the quarterback market in 2020. Well, yeah, maybe like, if you don't like Fields, you go for the next big quarterback in the 2022 uh, draft. Uh, gosh. But the, you can call me an idiot. Just, stick, fine. just <laughs> stick with – I'm not going to call you an idiot, but just stick with Sam if you're going to do that. I, like, what's Trubisky going to cost, too? Like, that's the other element of this. Like, he – I don't know. I, he might be able to get more than a one-year deal out there. He might be able to get some money. And Sam, you have under control for one more year. It's, I think he's, his cap number is like $9 million next year or something like that. So, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't – I would stick with Sam before I would go to Trubisky. Yeah, and then and he, you're you're right. He's done more. He had that one year where he played pretty well. I think he went to the Pro Bowl that year, and they went to the playoffs. So he's done more than Sam, but he isn't he isn't a guy. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the answer either. I can't wait for all the tweets from the Sam Darnold hive of, oh, you're an idiot. Bring Darnold back. I mean, they came out of the woodworks this week. He wins one game. Everyone, yeah. And listen, a lot of people, the defenses, you feel bad for him. And guess what? I do. I mean, you're with Adam Gaze. The offense didn't work. The Jets didn't put you in a great situation. But you also were not good. I mean, I, I get he's yeah. a nice guy and you feel for him, but he also stunk. And I don't think enough fans and, and the people who are defending him are putting stock in maybe he's just not the guy. Maybe they made a mistake or maybe he's not as good. And when we talked about it, maybe he just needs a star-studded cast around him to be a successful quarterback, and he can't do it with a subpar supporting cast, Cause Yeah, and, you know, the supporting cast argument Jake is interesting to me. Like Gardner Minshew is putting up better numbers than Sam Darnold in Jacksonville, right? And that that's not a that's not a good team. You, that, that's fair to say they just surpassed you for the number one pick. But like you know, like Minshew has 16 touchdowns and five interceptions in in eight starts this year. He's completing 66% of his passes for 2,260 yards. That's all. Those numbers are better than Darnold, right? By a mile, yeah. Who's he throwing to? Like he's got Keelan Cole, DJ Chark, Chenault, the rookie, Tyler Eifert. I mean, uh, is are those guys much better than what the Jets have? I, I don't know. And he, he's played better than Sam Darnold. So you know, I don't think people are are saying the Jaguars coaching staff is the greatest thing going. So people twist themselves in knots, making excuses for Sam Darnold with this and that. Like he just hasn't played very well. And maybe he will put it together at some point. I, I you know, what's the, it's the new Ryan Fitzpatrick went to Harvard. Harvard is Sam Darnold's only 23 years old. Like I, we get it. But generally, when you look at quarterbacks through history, you can kind of tell what they are through about 30 starts. And Sam is past that point. I think we know what he is. And I know Ryan Tannehill is the other one that everyone's going to throw out. Ryan Tannehill played better in the first few years than Sam Donald's played in his first few years. Ryan Tannehill wasn't great, but he had a pretty good year in 2014, his third season with Joe Philbin. They, they, he, he was pretty good that year. So he's played better. 
Uh, and and also Ryan Tannehill was a wide receiver in college. He kind of was like he had to had to progress as a quarterback more. Donald's been playing quarterback since high school, so I don't know. I am I'm off the Sam Donald bandwagon. Uh, I think they need to move on. I think he could benefit from a fresh start. Jets can benefit from a fresh start. So I'm all for someone else. Yeah, I agree. And you know, you mentioned the Jaguars and Minshew mania. You know this this podcast for at least this week is not gangs all here. It's Jags all here. So let's <laughs> let's preview that game first. The Jaguars play the Bears. So the Bears are seven and seven. Like we said, Trubisky's been up and down. He's been good the last couple of weeks. They're still mathematically alive for the playoffs if they win the last two and they get a lot of help. So they're playing for a lot. But you know, Doug Marone has said we're we're playing to win. No one has told me we're going to lose. It seems like James Robinson is he wants to play. I know they said he he might not be practicing all week, but he might play, which is huge for them. He's been incredible out of nowhere in the backfield for the Jaguars. So you know, the Jaguars have a shot, and they're at home. Who knows? Maybe they get a couple fans in the building. Maybe they could find a way to win this game, Cos. Yeah, I once saw a 17-and-a-half-point underdog win, Jake. So, you know, you never know what's going to happen. You never know what's going to happen in the NFL. And I, I, I think you're right. I think, like, the Bears have played better, but is anyone buying the Bears? Like, that, that they're a really good team? So, the Jaguars uh, hasn't been lately, but they had a stretch there where they were playing a lot of close games. So, I, I think this one could be close. I think the, the Jaguars might have a chance here. Uh, it's going to be interesting to watch how they manage the game. If they, if they do start pulling guys in the second half or something, if it's close, that'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, if Luton comes in the game like we've said oh no please don't please don't Doug see Doug Marone is not going to be back next season so he's in a position like Gase here where he doesn't care about who the Jets are drafting last year he just wants to win games and you know have some dignity before he get dignity before he gets out so well you know, and make no mistake Jake they want they want to screw the next guy They're, that, that is, I've talked to coach about that plenty when back in 2014 when the Jets played the Titans it was the Mariota Bowl right? The, the, the loser of that game was going to get Marcus Mariota was the thought. Rex told his team, like, they were gonna, he was going to hang up green Christmas lights at his house if they if they won the game. Like, those guys, that coaching staff relished the fact that they won two of the last three games so that the Jets were picking sixth instead of second, where they could have gotten Winston or Mariota. Another intriguing name, if the Raiders were to move him, is Marcus Mariota for a year. I know he's got, I think he signed a two-year deal, so he's got a year left. He, he showed some flashes uh, last week when he came into that football game. I know, you know, the Titans have been down that path, and in, in the long run, he might not be good, but he's still pretty young and could be an intriguing option. But I don't know if the Raiders want to move him. He's he's one of the best, maybe the best backup in the league. So if if you do the Mariota thing, if you're going to do that, I'm looking at his his cap number is 10 million next year. I would I would then draft a quarterback later in the draft, either that second first round pick or a second round pick. And could you know, I'm not convinced Mariota is going to be the long term answer, but maybe you go into next year with Mariota and a, a quarterback that you like but you're not taking number two overall. And, you know, you let them compete, see who wins. If it doesn't work with one of them, you go to the other one midseason. You know, maybe Mariota's Ryan Tannehill. Maybe he's that guy. Tannehill replaced Mariota in Tennessee. Maybe Mariota can revive his career like Tannehill. So, yeah, I, I don't hate the Marcus Mariota idea as much as I hate your Mitchell Trubisky idea. <laughs> yeah, I, that's that's commendable. I, now that I think about it, after seeing Mariota play, and, you know, he's in his career he's shown flash. They've been to the playoffs with him as a quarterback, the Titans. So, yeah. you know, he, he's not hot garbage. 
The uh, question with Mariota, Jake, is what do the Raiders want for him? Yeah, you'd have to give a pretty good draft. Well, you could give a draft pick that maybe you trade the second uh, the second pick and you get one of those picks. Not God, a first I rounder. Do. What do you give him, a second or third rounder? For I don't know. Yeah, like, I mean, Joe Douglas is not going to want to give up these draft picks. I just know that. So that yeah, that's that's going to be the question is what the Raiders are looking for to you know, if they if if they if they do decide to trade him, what they want for him, we'll be debating that for a long time to come. All right, the, the, we did preview the Jaguars game first here on Jags all here. Let's talk about the Jets game. Uh, they play the Browns. The Browns second straight week cause at MetLife Stadium, so a nice little turnaround for them, not having to travel much. They made it look pretty easy against the Giants. The 10-4, Baker Mayfield finally is playing as well as all the commercials that he's in with Progressive. Every game you watch, it's Baker Mayfield everywhere. Cleveland is 9.5-point favorites. The uh, over-under is 47. Kaz, I, I think we can uh, be in lockstep here, That especially Quinn and Williams now done for the year. Um, everything going on with the Jets, I, I just don't see them surprising the world two straight weeks. No, I think that was their Super Bowl last week, Jake. I think, you know, they, they spent everything they had to win that game. And what you just mentioned, Quentin Williams being done for the year with a neck injury. Um, Harvey Lange, you know, the inside linebacker who uh, he, he's basically their third inside linebacker. He's he's now down. With, you know, they put him on IR. So, you know, they're going to be pulling guys off the street to play linebacker this week. Bryce Hager might be the linebacker or someone else on the practice squad. Even their nickel corner, Javelin Gidry, who he's he's done some decent things, and you know, recently he's hurt. He has a knee injury. He might not play. So you're getting to the backups, to the backups, to the backups on the Jets' defense against an offense who had Baker's playing well. But the, the bigger issue to me is Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. I mean, these guys might run all over the Jets with no Quinnen and no Harvey Lange in the middle. Like, this this could get they, – they could just run for, you know, 250 yards on the Jets. I can't wait for Frankie Louvu to taunt a running back when it's 44-3 Browns in the fourth quarter. You um, know what, Jake? I watched that play after – and, yes, it, it wasn't as bad as you described it. And, like, I don't know, the guy's playing with energy. I give him some credit being down 30 points. He, he was standing that. over him looking down, Kaz. I don't uh, know. Oh, but and then he comes back, Jake, and Luva played a really good game against the Rams. Did you see all the plays he made yeah, against the Rams? Yeah, someone tweeted me, you know, did you order your Frankie Louvu jersey? All yeah, right. he played well. I yeah. mean, I, I don't know. Like, what do you want the guy out there playing comatose? Like, I give these guys credit that they still have anything left. I'd be packing it in at this point. Like, you know, come on. I guess. It's just not the time and the place, Frankie, but congrats. Oh, it wasn't Frankie. like a Gastineau sack dance. You know, it was, you know, he gave him a little, little bit of business, but not nothing too bad. Yeah, too much business for me, guys, but uh, congrats, you're old, Frankie. You're you're old school, Jake. You're yeah, old school. Sometimes about some things. I, again, I sound like the get off my lawn guy. Yeah, and I'm usually that guy. Like, I'm the hand the ball to the ref, act like you've been there before guy. But I, you know, I'm okay with a little emotion on defense. Doing the show with you every week. I think I got some cause coming on to me now. Yeah, there you the, go. You're wearing off on you. Uh, cause, before we get into your book, Brian's book, uh, unfortunately, we lost Hall of Famer Kevin Green, who passed away on Monday at 58 years old, the Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2016 and he was the Jets linebackers coach in 2017-2018. Can you uh, talk about Kevin Green and the time you had covering him here? Yeah, well first of all, Jake, just I remember watching him as a player um and he was just phenomenal. Like that guy when you picture a linebacker, you picture Kevin Green with his hair coming out underneath the helmet first with the the Rams and the Steelers and the Panthers and uh he was just, you know, this crazy man on the field. Uh it was fun to watch. And then he was fun to cover for a couple of years that he was here under Todd Bowles. Like he he's brought a lot of energy to the practice field. You could tell he really cared about his guys when he spoke to us. He spoke, you know, very passionately about his players and 
you know, I, I just thought he he always had a lot of energy on the field. You could hear him from all over the place. Uh, he won a Super Bowl as a coach with the Packers. Uh, there's a famous clip of that game, him telling Clay Matthews after Charles Woodson got hurt, like, it's time. Like, it's time. Go go get him now. So, um, yeah, tragic, you know, 58 years old, but hell of a player and, and you know, a fun coach to watch practice. Yeah, thoughts and prayers with uh, the family of Kevin Green. Uh, just a tough year. We're losing a lot of great ones this year, Kaz. Um, and it's unfortunate with COVID and everything going on, how many people we have lost. All right, let's move on here to Brian's book with Mike Tannenbaum on the show this week. Do you have a story on Mike Tannenbaum, guys? Yeah, I'll tell a Tannenbaum story. Um, so I covered baseball. I think we talked about it before for a long time before I was really doing a lot of football. And in baseball, the general manager during the game is either in his suite, like at home, or even sometimes they're in the stands on the road. Like Brian Cashman would sit in the stands at Fenway, which I always thought was crazy. But in football, a lot of times on the road, the general manager is in the press box. They're right there with us. And a lot of times they're like right behind the beat writers. So like, you know, they organize a press box, like the home team is home beat writers and home PR officials are on one side. Then they put the road beat writers and they put the road like team officials behind them. So Mike would be sitting behind me and Mike was a lunatic during games. So I remember this one game specifically in 2011, they got smoked by the Ravens. Uh, it might have been a Sunday night football game, Jake. Ed Reed blitzed on the first play and blew up Sanchez. Haloti Nata killed Sanchez. They just got they got pummeled by the Ravens. And Mike was behind me, and this is all you could hear the whole game. <laughs> he used to slap the desk as hard as he could, and he would mutter under his breath. And so I wrote about it. Oh, <laughs> I no. put it in my I put it in this story, yeah. And I remember the Jets PR guy, Bruce Spate, called me and he was like, you know, hey, that's it's understood. Like, you're not supposed to write about that. And I'm like, he's in the press box. Like, it's fair game. Like, he's got to control himself. Uh, but Mike was like a crazy man during games, I remember. And, and I remember another game in Philadelphia. He was doing that. And one of the Eagles beat writers had no idea who he was. And the guy goes, hey, man, it's just a football game. Chill out. <laughs> <laughs> Did he respond? I'm, I'm, I'm the yeah, Jets he was like, grow, he was, uh, you know, so like, yeah. So I always remember Mike T in the press box, uh, you know, on the road, just he would lose his mind. And it's funny, I, like we talk about the Jaguars. I covered the playoffs, uh, the Jaguars playoff games a couple years ago when they went to the championship game. Seems like 10 years ago now. And Tom Coughlin was there. He was in the press box and he was crazy. He was a crazy man during the game. Uh, and I actually have a pencil that at the AFC championship game, as the Jaguars lost, there was some play that kind of clinched the game for the Patriots. He threw a pencil and it whizzed <laughs> by my ear. And so I picked it up and I threw it in my bag and I kept that. Oh, a game used pencil by Tom Coughlin in the by press Tom box. Coughlin. Yeah. Did Mike Tannenbaum ever sit in the press box again after that? Or did he, when your story came out or did yeah, he? Yeah, he did. Cause that Eagles game was after that game. He did. Um, I don't know if he was as mad about it as, as the PR staff was mad that I wrote about it. I don't know, but it was, I always just thought it was weird that they couldn't find a better place for the GM to sit than the press box. Yeah, that is bizarre. I don't, I've never even heard of that. Usually they have like a luxury suite just for that. There it is, the pencil. pencil. If you're not hearing it, this is not a number two pencil. It looks like one of those ones that you could dial up with the eraser a little bit. Yeah. So you, I don't know if you take your SATs with that one, but you would throw it in the press box. It is a, (laughs) it is a throwable press box pencil from Tom Coughlin. There we go. Brian's book, Mike Tannenbaum, the angry one. Let's get him some alcohol, uh, get him a drink, cool him down during games. All righty, let's move on to Stump the Cause. Let's bring in Alex Camerata. 
Uh, he's given you a couple of easy ones, a couple of a couple 60 mile an hour, you know, slow pitch curveballs right down the middle. A couple oh, of yeah. meatballs. So he's going to go hard. He's going to go hard on me now. Yeah, it's the it's the holiday season, Alex. Give him a, let's see what you got for him. Yeah, it's the season of giving, but I'm not giving any softballs to Koss today. Uh, so are you ready for this one, Koss? Sunday, my Miami Dolphins defeated the New England Patriots 22-12, to marking just the sixth time in Bill Belichick's career that he lost to a rookie quarterback, in this case, to a Tungla Vailoa. So my question is, who was the last quarterback to beat Bill before Sunday's game? The last rookie quarterback to beat Bill Belichick? Is that the question? Correct. That would be one Eugene Smith back in 2013. Big Gino came through against Belichick. He nailed it. I thought I had him. I gave him no hints, and he nailed it. Now, stumping the cause gets harder and harder each well, week. Is that, was that a hard one? for That seemed easy for you. You think that was the easy one, Kaz, or? Uh, that's a, that's a decent one. I think, I think that was a fair question. You know, I don't think that's something that, you know, everyone would know, but you know, I, I do, I do remember that game pretty well. Uh, Nick, Fol- that was a Nick Folk special. Nick Folk kicked the game winning field goal there in that game. Now, another outlier to that is Bill's lost six times to rookie quarterbacks. Two of them are to Jets quarterbacks. We, Geno Smith, we just said, and the other. Yeah, Mark Sanchez. Mark Sanchez, yeah. friend uh, of the show. Yeah, there yes, you go. Wow. <laughs> All right, well, next week might be the Stump to Cause finale because the Monday, Black Monday, when we assume Gase will be fired, could be the season finale of the show. So, Alex, you better come up with the hardest question you got that doesn't involve the New York Titans. Uh, for next week. We might have to go back to the Titans if Koss keeps beating me here. And you liked it. Speaking of going back in time, there's a couple old Christmas classics. With the holiday season here, we got to, you know, give our Christmas song, Mount Rushmore. Everyone wants to ask, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Is Die Hard? How about we talk about Christmas music, Koss? I'll give mine first. My Mount Rushmore is all I want for Christmas you. I mean, come on. When Mariah comes on, I get my karaoke voice. I won't sing because I know you don't want me to sing. And I don't think the listeners want me to sing. But that song and the streams that she, the money she's made off that song alone, she could do no other song. She didn't have to, and a hero, any other song she did. If she just did all I want for Christmas with you, she'd have a, a house in every state in America. This Christmas is another one I like. I like the Ruben Studdard version, but the Christina Aguilaris version is very popular. I saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. Me and my family would always listen to that, and we'd fill out something about my mom kissing a guy from, like, all my children. And then number four, J- uh, Jingle Bell Rock. It makes me think of Jingle All the Way, and it's just a happy Christmassy tune, Kaz. What did you do? You, you talk about your mother kissing someone? What, what was that? <laughs> we all my jo- children? We would joke about Mike. Over that. The guy Michael, tad- toddler, toddler. But not that she did, but we joked that my dad, and we would laugh that she wanted to kiss him, like, jokingly, and we Say, I saw mommy kissing Michael. Uh, it was just a funny little. I thing. figured you'd go Mar- Mariah Carey since you're 14 years old, Jake. Exactly. You know, it wouldn't be an old song. Funny Mariah Carey story for you. This is this is for I think Anthony McCarron, who used to work at the Daily News, good guy, SNY now. Anthony, I believe it was him. It was either him or Peter Body from our They saw in spring training one year. Are you familiar with the restaurant Carabas, Jake? You know what Carabas is? Uh, it's sort of like Olive Garden. Okay. It's like Olive Garden, but it's in the South and Midwest. But, you know, it's a chain Italian Olive Garden. In Tampa, Florida, I, it was Anthony, I'm pretty sure. Anthony saw Mariah Carey and Derek Jeter eating at Carabas. So wow. there you go. There you go. Page six. There's Brian's book, page six edition. <laughs> uh, All right. So my Christmas songs, 
I you got to go Christmas and Hollis from Run DMC, Jake. It's a classic. Little surprise you didn't go there. Before my time, but a classic. Feliz Navidad, by the way. Feliz Navidad was my honorable mention. If I if I had to okay. switch one, yeah, I'll give you. Uh, yeah, because I have an honorable mention as well. Merry Christmas, baby, by Bruce Springsteen, cool. which we we had the Bruce Billy Joel debate recently. Got to throw Bruce in, yeah. Uh, Do they know it's Christmas? Good one by Band Band Aid. You know that one? Do they Jake? know it's Christmas? I don't think I know that one. Uh, it was a, in the eighties. They recorded it. It, it benefited uh, kids in Africa. Look, look it up. Do they? You you know it. You know it. Do they know it's Christmas? Do you want to sing it you know, for me? Know it's Christmas? You know that one, Alex? Of course, of course. How does Some it go, Alex? You could sing. Well, I mean, I certainly can't, but I know the song. Are we, do, do we have it in the podcast budget to pay for the rights to the song? No, we Jake? do not. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's not in the budget, but now I, I'm going to look it up after and yeah, report today back. Today Christmas. Look it up. Um, okay, so that's three, right? Okay, number four. And then I'll go You 2 Christmas, Baby, Please Come Home. A U2 song, Christmas song. Oh, that one either. That one? Yeah, look that up. And my honorable mention, I went kind of more 80s songs, but my honorable mention would be the Christmas song by Nat King Cole. Okay, I know the Christmas song. Favorite, like when I was a kid, was a favorite of my parents. That's that's Chestnuts Roasting on Open Fire. Yes. 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 I actually had Tiki Barber sing that to me in the studio at the fan. He is the voice of an angel, actually. A lot of people don't know. He sings his kids to sleep. Um, So shout out Tiki Barber. All right, that's an interesting top five. Very different than mine. Obviously, some older ones in there. Now I got to do some research on these and get back to you next week. We actually, you didn't, you didn't tell me, I think on Monday, we forgot to report back on your snowblower incident. <laughs> yeah. And I will say Nat King Cole's grandson played for the jets at one point. Wyatt oh, Ray oh. linebacker. Cool. He was on the practice squad a few years ago. Yeah. The snowblower Jake was rough. It was a rough go. <laughs> uh, it was the battle. Um, I took a beating. I was a little sore for a few days. Uh, upper back was killing me. A few things. It, it didn't clear the snow as you know mightily as I hoped. I expected to have a blacktop driveway. It wasn't quite there. You know, I had to figure out how to get keep it from stop stalling in the snow. Ran out of gas at one point. So you know, I'll get better as it goes along. But it was it was you know it was a good first outing. But but some you know so a little little trick. The, the snowblower definitely I think won round one against me. But I, I'll come back strong. So Kaz, you're more of a window thrower than a snowblower user. Well, here's how I'd say it. It was definitely better than shoveling, Jake. Yes, definitely. But it was it was not better than paying someone eighty dollars to shovel my driveway. So yeah, well, listen, it's eighty dollars for me to get my back wax. So I, I think I would I would throw eighty at shoveling because that that's a that's a heavy price to pay. Wow. So maybe it was just rusty. Maybe it just needed to get recharged. So now you're waiting for the second snowstorm so you get your redemption. Yes, yes. I think you know I, I'm ready for the next one. I, I learned some tricks. I figured out how, how to maneuver. But it was it was rough. It was rough on the back, Jake. It was. It, it's a pretty heavy piece of machinery. I, I realized that I'm pretty much only equipped to uh, a laptop computer is about the biggest piece of machinery I should operate. Exactly. There you go. You know, we got uh, Tony Richardson and Thomas Jones operating big weights and uh, you chilling with the laptop. All right. Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, everyone. Enjoy the holidays. Coming up next on Gangs All Here, it's former Jets GM Mike Tannenbaum. Joining us next is a guy whose career started with the Mets, the Pittsfield Mets, that is, where he was an intern in 1991. He would eventually find his way with the Jets in 1997 as the director of player contract negotiations. After serving different roles in the front office, he would eventually succeed Terry Bradway as the Jets general manager in 2006 as he held the position through 2012. 
The Jets made the playoffs, playoffs three times, and the AFC Championship in back-to-back years. During his tenure as GM, you can now catch him on ESPN with a with a boatload of former Jets players and coaches breaking down football. Let's welcome in Mike Tannenbaum to Gangs All Here. Mike, it's Jake Brown and Brian Costello. Welcome to the show. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. All that good stuff. How are you? Great to be with you guys. Happy holidays to you and your families. The Pittsfield Mets. What was the intern of the Pittsfield Mets in 1991? What were you doing? You know, I was a below average tarp puller. So when it rained and we had to pull the tarp, I was below average at best. But I was really good at putting the cheese on the nachos. In fact, I would say I was borderline dominant. So of all the jobs I had, I was outstanding at putting cheese on the nachos. But when it came to pulling like a rainy, heavy tarp, there was way better than me. So um, in all seriousness, it was a lot of fun. It was my first foray into uh, sports. I worked for free after I graduated from the University of Massachusetts. And it really helped me, um, I would say, define and solidify my passion that I wanted to work in sports. See, you hear that, guys? Work for free. Kids these days are getting paid to intern. When I interned in 2012 at SNY, free. Islanders, free. Um, so these kids these days, cause they don't know about these free internships. Yeah, no, I know, Jake. That that was a Twitter debate a while ago about whether people should work for free. I'm like, I worked for free plenty when I, when I was in college and well, you know, basically for free after college. Mike, I thought of you watching the, the Jets win on Sunday. Uh, there's basically two universes right now in the, with the Jets. There's the players and coaches who are – you know, thrilled that they got a win and they're not going to go 0-16. And then there's a bunch of Jets fans like Jake who are miserable that they're not going to get the number one pick and Trevor Lawrence. But a guy who's in the middle is Joe Douglas. Because I'm sure Joe was was very happy for his players and for his coaches that they got a win. But he also is the guy who's going to be making the pick in a few months and not having the number one pick. I'm curious, from the GM's eyes, what were you thinking when you saw the Jets winning that game on Sunday? You know, first of all, guys, we got to give a lot of credit to the Jets coaches and players. And let's face it, they've dealt with a ton of criticism over the last four months. And if you really look at it objectively, going back to even the Patriot game at MetLife, they've played well in spots. Obviously, they should have won against the Raiders. They had the Patriots out to a one-score game. And obviously, they thoroughly outplayed the Rams. That, that game was not a fluke. They really, from play one, they outplayed them. And I think you're right. I think Joe Douglas was probably really happy because, you know, from a GM perspective, you're in that building every day. You're seeing how hard people work. You're seeing the character of the players. And he certainly can't say this publicly, but boy, I'm sure there was part of him that was thinking like, wow, you know, Trevor Lawrence is this once in a 10-year player and barring something unforeseen, guys, he's going to be a Jacksonville Jaguar. Mike, put your GM cap on. What do you do here if you're the Jets? You got the second pick. If, if they stay at two, are you taking the quarterback? Are you keeping Sam? Are you trading down? What are you doing? Well, I'm a little disappointed that since Sam Darnold's been in the NFL, he's had 44 turnovers. That's the sixth most of any quarterback in that period of time. And it's hard to win, sustain, uh, have sustainability uh, when your quarterback's turning it over. I think these next couple of weeks are important. And I wouldn't discount looking at someone like Marcus Mariota or Jameis Winston and then looking at the draft as well. The problem is you're not going to get nearly the draft capital you would uh, in prior years because I think some people may have Zach Wilson second. Um, I think those evaluations will be all over the place. So um, while you may be able to trade out the second pick if you want to keep Sam Darnold, you're not going to get this massive haul of picks. Yeah, I agree with you, Mike. A lot of people are saying, oh, trade back, trade back. But this isn't a year where there's two elite quarterbacks for sure things. Like There's one and then there's a drop-off. So I don't think they're going to be able to get a huge package for that number two pick. 
Oh, Mike, on another front, um, you know, it, it looks like that the Jets are going to have a coaching search on their hands in a couple weeks. Um, you're a guy who's been through these coaching searches. Just how difficult is that as a general manager of trying to figure out, you know, who, who's going to be the leader of, of your franchise and kind of weighing if, if they're a good coordinator and how, does that translate into being a head coach? Can you just take us through? You were, I think you were, you've probably hired three head coaches during your time with the Jets and Dolphins. I'm sure you were involved with others. Just the difficulties of, of picking a coach in those, these coaching searches. Yeah. So, you know, first of all, I'll just speak about it generally because right now that's not a job that's open. And I would just say, generally speaking, you really need, you want to find a leader. You want to find a person that can build a program. Something that I really believe quite a bit in, guys, is who you are in life is how you treat people that can help you. So, how people treated me in 1991 at the Pittsfield Mets, you know, that's someone's true character. And for example, when we hired Rex Ryan, we did a ton of research on him. We spoke to all the support staff of the Baltimore Ravens. So when Rex's computer breaks on a Tuesday night and he's calling the IT person of, of, the, of the Ravens, that's who he really is. Um, and that's really, really important. And sometimes that's not maybe headline grabbing, but you have to be so thorough. You want to speak to plenty of former players of players that person has coached. And I'm not just talking about frontline guys, but did he develop a special teams player? You know, was he accessible to all players that he was responsible for, not just the stars? There's so many little things because you're hiring someone that needs to be a CEO. You need somebody that needs to be a good listener. You need somebody that has great mental toughness. Um, there's a lot of benefits that you need to check. Uh, Mike, do you have a certain realm you're thinking? Do you like the co- hot college coach that comes? Do you, do you like the coordinator, like a enemy, uh, a CEO type? Like, where do you think the Jets need to go, and where do you see them going? Well, again, you know that job isn't open, as I as I stated. But uh, what I will say is that um, generally speaking, you want somebody that can again hire staff. You want somebody that can hold people accountable and we've seen successful hires a lot of different ways guys like i'll give you a great example give jeff Lurie and joe banner a ton of credit ron wilson the hall of fame as a hall of fame general manager he bypassed andy Reid, and he was not the play caller in green bay when he got hired by philadelphia and you know two decades later you know that certainly has worked out really well so you can find them. You just have to do a really good job and be very thorough in your research. And again, really drill down on who can develop players, who can scale their leadership, who can hold other people accountable. You know, having hard conversations with people on your staff, with players, either about playtime or money or about their title. There's a lot of little things that go into it. Um, how do you manage up? How do you speak to your owner? How do you handle the media? Like all those things matter. And that's what you're looking for. Mike, what, what's your opinion of college coaches going to the NFL? I remember you guys interviewed Harbaugh. Pretty, He was pretty early early in his Stanford career when you interviewed him uh, before hiring Rex. Uh, I remember the Boston College coach being involved in that search. Obviously, there's, there's a lot of notable guys who've gone to the NFL and haven't succeeded. Now we kind of see, you know, Carolina with Matt Rule last year. What do you think about that jump from college to the NFL? If, if it's an effective coach, look, I had the great fortune in my career of representing Steve Kerr and doing Steve's deal when he went to the Warriors. And Steve had zero coaching experience. And um, he was a broadcaster, he was a former GM, and obviously a great player. So I think great coaching you can find in a lot of different ways. They don't necessarily have to come from the NFL. So. You know, in the appropriate situation, Brian, it certainly could be a college coach. Mike, you you were part of hiring Eric Mangini. We had Mangini on a few weeks ago. He said he was a little surprised when he was 
let go by you guys. What went into that decision? Obviously, you guys struggled um, the last month and collapsed there, missed the playoffs, but he felt that maybe he could have been back. What, what do you think of that firing? Uh, yeah, it was just a decision we made. Um, we just felt like it was in the best interest of the team. And uh, to Eric's credit, he did so many great things. There was an incredible foundation. And I'll tell you a really cool story um, that I was part of that was so um, just sort of like it happened extemporaneously. But we had come off of a practice with Rex um, early on. I think it was in training camp in 2009. And we're talking about whatever, you know, an injury. He goes, hold on a second calls Mangina on his cell phone. He goes, I just want you to know that um, you did an incredible job here. You laid a great foundation. This team is well coached. They're disciplined. They know how to practice. You know, turns out we went to the chip game back year nine and 10, and Eric deserves a ton of credit. You know, a lot of the players we acquired, we did it collaboratively, you know, from that great class, Shaw Ferguson, Nick Bangle, Leon Washington, Brad Smith, and uh, he did a lot of great things there and uh, laid a great foundation that, again, led to back-to-back championship games. Yeah, we've had a few guys on from that era lately, Mike. We had uh, Tony Richardson on and Eric Coleman recently, and they both said the same thing about Mangini without any prompting from us. They both said they learned more X's and O's from Eric than any other coach. And for T-Rich, you know, T-Rich was in the league for 17 years. He played for Marty Schottenheimer, played for Dick Vermeil, you know, and he, he said Eric taught them more X's and O's than anyone else, you know, with his famous meetings where he would ask the fullback what the linebackers' responsibilities were and stuff. So, yeah, he, he was he was some teacher. I wanted to shift gears, Mike, with you to, to your view on free agency. Fans and media, we always look at these free agents and go, oh, you know, we play fantasy football. This is the number one cornerback. The Jets need a cornerback. Go sign him. And it, it it usually ends up blowing up in the team's faces that that spend too much money in free agency. How do you balance that, Mike, where a guy's going to be an upgrade for you, uh, you know, in free agency maybe, but their, their price is probably too high because that's how free agency works. Just through the years, how did your, your philosophy change on that or, or how did it, you know, how did it evolve on, on free agency? It has to be part of team building. It can't not be. Um, it's just another way to improve your team. But it has to be uh, done in a context. And I made some great decisions. And, you know, there was countless others that I wish I had back to be candid. And you want to make sure that it fits well in your locker room and you want to reward the players that have been there. Um, you know, and you can see that the Jets have, you know, since Joe Douglas has been there, like he's been active in free agency, like signing Khalil, you know, last summer or, you know, Fant this year. Um, those are guys that he's tried to bring in to address the offensive line. Um, you're just not going to repair the offensive line overnight by the draft. So I think it has to be a complementary part of team building. Even if not all those signs work out, um, you have to avail yourself to any mechanism to improve the team. But you just want to make sure that you're not doing it at the expense of losing a core player. All right, Mike, I got to put you on the spot here. You talked about signing you want to have back. Another guest we had on was Mark Sanchez. Do you regret at all the contract extension for Sanchez? Well, yeah, I mean, of course, when you look back, like he, he didn't play as well after we extended him than he did beforehand. Um, you know, what's really interesting about Mark's career is when you look at it from a, the totality of his Jet career, he started off by winning four road playoff games, beating Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Philip Rivers. You know, it's really quite impressive the p- people he beat on the road to win road playoff games. Um, and at the time, we signed him because we felt like the, the value was there. And then Obviously, he didn't play as well afterwards, and we were held accountable to that decision, which, of course, we should be. And um, when you sit in those seats, guys, and you have the privilege of making those decisions, you take all the information you have, 
Um, it's the old Abe Lincoln expression. You know, he Abe Lincoln says, if I have four hours to chop down a cherry tree, I'm going to spend three hours sharpening my axe, one hour chopping it down. And, um, you know, very, very proud of, like, the process we use to make decisions and uh, brought in really bright and talented people that have gone on to have great careers in front offices. And that one just didn't work out. But when I look back at it, it certainly wasn't for, you know, lack of having the right process. Mike, we've um, we talked about Makai Becton a lot this year. He's been one bright spot for the Jets. But even, you know, even though he's had a good year, he's missed some time with injuries. And that has prompted me to bring up the Brickishaw a lot because it's just amazing to me, like, of all the things you see in the NFL, the Brickishaw never missing a snap other than that one for a trick play and never being on the injury report just astonishes me. You drafted him. Um, just, you know, Take me back to, to that draft and what you saw in him to take him number four overall. I know there was a lot of people who wanted you to take Darren McFadden, I think, at the time, was the hot one that, that everybody wanted. What did you see in DeBrickishaw? And then, you know, did you marvel at kind of his – just his durability through the years? Yeah, I'm really proud of that pick. Uh, again, really because I think we had the right process, which was, um, you know, I was the assistant GM the year before, and we lost two quarterbacks in seven snaps, uh, Jay Fiedler and Chad Paynton. And at the time, we couldn't block Richard Seymour or Jason Taylor or it just felt like anybody else in the AFC East. And I made the comment, I'm like, guys, look, I don't care if we could draft John Elway. Like, we're drafting a tackle because even if we had John Elway, we would stink because we can't block anything. So we're not going to overcomplicate this. We have to fix the offensive line. And until we do that, nothing else matters. Like, we could just go home now because when you lose two quarterbacks in seven snaps, it ruins your whole season. And that was really like the foundation that we approached, uh, you know, fixing the offensive line, you know, drafting DeBrickishaw and Nick Mangold, you know, in 06. And as it relates to DeBrickishaw, you know, I'm, I'm proud of that because it really starts with his parents. Like, he has incredible parents, not good, like great parents. Um, and we studied him so closely. And there were some questions about his weight gain between the end of his season at Virginia and what he weighed in at, at Indy. Um, but he was a very flexible guy for someone his size. And look, you never think he's never going to be an injury report or, you know, miss one snap. But, you know, he had great mobility. So I felt like athletically, if nothing else, we were beginning a really good pass protecting left tackle. And, you know, we got so much more. And when you build a program, guys, like the players, and this is a great Coach Parcells line, like greatness is defined by somebody having attributes you can't see. And a great example of that is Curtis Martin. Another great example is DeBrickishaw. DeBrickishaw had greatness about him because he was the same guy every day. He worked his tail off. He never complained, and he always exceeded expectations. Kaz always tells me never ended up on the injury report. I mean, a pretty incredible accomplishment. Mike Tannenbaum is with us for a few more minutes here on Gangs All Here. You can follow him on Twitter at Real Tannenbaum. Mike, can you kind of just, you know, we have so much spewing of negativity. The team sucks. They haven't been in the playoffs in a decade. But when you came to work every day, when Rex Ryan is your head coach, I mean, work must have been fun. Coming to the Jets facility, he's got wigs and costumes and saying, let's get a goddamn snack and everything A to Z. Rex Ryan was just this fun guy. Can you kind of take us in the day of the life of being a GM with a head coach that's fun and a team that, you know, is going to the AFC Championship? Yeah, let me take you, take you behind the curtains of how I used to manipulate them. So, look, I had final say on the roster, but I would never want to do anything without having the head coach on board. And if I felt like there was going to be a disagreement, you know, I would always invest five to 600 calories into it and always <laughs> I would get my way. So I would show up with a venti mocha frappuccino with extra whipped cream. I give it to him. I let that thing like sit in for about seven, eight minutes. It take the edge off and I would always get my way. And that's why we won. It was the venti mocha frappuccino with extra whipped cream. 
And I always felt, you know, we're six to 700 calories away from making a really, really good decision. <laughs> can we bring those back, Kaz? Can, can the next head coach yeah. get one of these venties? Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, and like, Jake, I'll tell you, like, I've been around a lot of GM-coach combinations now, and Mike and Rex were the best working together that I was around. And that's been a big part of the problem, in my opinion, since then, is the GM and coach haven't been very aligned. I think – Joe Douglas and, and Adam have been aligned, but it just hasn't worked out for whatever reason. But that relationship, I don't think people understand like how important that relationship is between the GM and the head coach. And it can devolve very easily into finger pointing both ways of you're not getting me players or you're not developing players. And, and Mike and Rex never did that. They really, they really worked well together. And that's what the Jets need going forward for sure. You know, Mike, do you, do, what, what do you think about that, about just, just that relationship with the GM and head coach? Yeah, no, that, that's exactly right. Like there has to be an authenticity. And I felt like I had that. Even going back to Herm as the assistant GM and then with coach Bangini and, and obviously with Rex. And the other part about Rex that was really, again, just taking behind the currents. Like I remember we're playing the very first game. We're playing the Houston Texans. And it's on the road. And at the time, they have Gary Kubiak, a very good head coach, Matt Schaub, and this high-power offense. And I'm in the back of the room for the team meeting. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I've been thinking about this all week. I'm like, gosh, like, we're playing the Houston Texans. Like, they are really, really good on offense. And, like, I'm looking at Sanchez. Guy's never taken a snap in the NFL before. I'm looking at Rex. Guy's never been a head coach before. Like, I'm thinking to myself, gosh, this is what we could keep this one close. And Rex is like, gets up there, goes, guys, we know their protections. We are going to blow them out tomorrow. We are going to destroy them. Mark, just don't f*** it up on offense. And we are going <laughs> to blow this team out. They will not be able to stop us. And I'm in the back of the room thinking like 180 degrees from that. And sure enough, it was like it set the tone for, you know, for Rex. And that's what was so great about Rex. Like he would instill confidence in the most like authentic way. And I know like sometimes the media saw some of it, but not all of it. And you really felt like he had the answers to the test in terms of how they were going to defend some of these blitzes. And if you remember that game going back to 09, an opening day, like we blew him out and it was incredible to watch. And that really set the foundation because after that, through the lens of a player, like he could do no wrong. And he really did walk on water, especially with those defensive players. Like he just had them buy in. And every Wednesday, you know, he would come in with a new pressure package. And it was just like, it was fun. It was inspiring. Like we all learned a lot. That that was Rex in a nutshell. Mike, you're going to make me cry here looking back at these <laughs> Jets, these fun Jets memories of those teams. I'm, I'm longing for those days, Mike, of them coming back. Last one for you before we let you go. Your story is very intriguing. Essentially, you were in grad school. You got your grad degree from Tulane in sports law, and you sent a salary cap plan to all 30 teams after graduating from uh, Tulane. And Mike Lombardi and Bill Belichick were the two guys to get back to you. Can you kind of take us through the beginning of the stage of you, your rise in the NFL and how you got there? Yeah, no, that's, that's it in a nutshell. I still have all the rejection letters to this day. Um, it, it still motivates me to, to no end. And I put together my thoughts. I was an unpaid intern uh, for the Saints while I was in law school. Graduated in 95. Proud to say I graduated with honors. And my friends were getting great jobs, high-paying jobs. And um, the Browns, Mike Lombardi and uh, Coach Belichick, gave me an opportunity to drive people to the airport and research contracts. And um, I put my thoughts together, like how to maximize the salary cap. And that really allowed me to stay in the NFL, making $300 a week. And then fast forward, Coach Belichick and Coach Parcells left the Patriots after the 96 season, came to the Jets in 97. I got hired by them and 
was very lucky to spend, you know, 16 great years. And um, I just think that it's a very special organization, you know, starting with the ownership. The Johnson family was great to me and my family. And I think that facility and there's so many people in that building that, you know, care deeply. And hopefully there's, you know, better days ahead with, you know, Joe Douglas, Coach Gase, whatever the decisions are made. But, uh, you know, that organization deserves to win and, and hopefully there's better days ahead for them. Yeah, let's let's hope it comes soon. That's an awesome story. And, you know, what can he do? He's, he makes salary caps. He puts cheese on nachos. He puts tarp on the Pitts field, Mets field. No, no, no. Can't, I can't pull the tarp. Oh, that's, that's the one I thing you can't. Okay. Right, so, salary yeah, caps and nachos. All right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, and, 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 and Boca Frappuccino transport. <laughs> yeah. that's yes. Really, you know. yes, that is that was the reason the Jets made the AFC Championship, the Mocha Frappuccino. Mike Tannenbaum, follow him on Twitter at Real Tannenbaum. Catch him on ESPN as their NFL front office insider. Mike, great catching up with you, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Happy holidays and uh, happy new year. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Take care. You too. That wraps up, in honor of Christmas, episode 59, the Kyle Clifton edition of Gangs All Here, our Jets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Alex Camerata for helping me out in producing the show. Subscribe to Gangs All Here on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get podcasts. Give us a five-star rating on Apple. And write in a nice review. For Brian Costello, I'm Jake Brown. We return on Monday following the Jets matchup with the Browns. Enjoy the game. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. And stay safe, folks. We're Jets fans. We've been depressed our whole lives.